This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. I want to share a little secret with you. The secret to being a networking star is follow-up. Let me say it again. Being a networking star is predicated on follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. Yeah, career transition has three key areas. First is focus. That's your career diagnosis. Then packaging. Packaging, it's developing your marketing and personal branding materials. And then process. And process is implementation strategy and implementation activity. I share this perspective with clients, and I advise them that whether they work with me to manage their career transition objectives, some other service, or if they even elect to develop, manage, and implement this process on their own, those steps are necessary. It's just like patient care. You diagnose, you develop a treatment plan, and you implement that plan. Out of order or missed steps, well, it's simply no longer patient care, is it? The same is true with career transition. One or two steps without the others, it's bound for failure. However, regarding process, elemental to process is networking. And by itself, only a few networking mistakes in an otherwise great process can stop a non-clinical career transition process right in its tracks. Think about it this way. Your career diagnosis is always evolving and being refined. So being a few degrees off in the beginning, well, it can be righted both easily and quickly. The same can be said for some of your branding materials. They too can be adjusted and your on the ground knowledge will set the pattern for that adjustment. What you learn during actual networking meetings and conversations, that expands and improves your personal branding. Actually, your branding should fluidly reflect what you're learning. But where are you doing your learning? You're learning during networking. Effective networking is the bedrock for your success. But what is effective networking? Not just networking, but not just any networking, but effective networking? Well, think of it this way. Effective networking should be about 20% making contacts and 80% follow-up. And following leads generated from those 20%. It's that simple. If all you do is make new contacts, your transition will take 80% longer to complete if you're successful at all. Let me explain. I often have physicians present me with some lengthy list of people they've met and talked to about their career objectives, but they're frustrated and confused at why they don't seem to be progressing. And in frustration, they're demanding from me, how many people do I need to meet? Well, when I'm confronted with this question, this is my response. Networking is most certainly a numbers game. And you do have to meet many, many people to be successful. However, it is not just a numbers game. It's also a matter of quality. And think about quality this way. As a physician, if every one of your patients had a different diagnosis, or if you never performed the same surgical procedure twice, how good would be your diagnostic or surgery skills? What would be your quality as a practitioner? Quality and skill generally derive from repetition. If you follow Malcolm Gladwell's writings, you you would see 10,000 hours of consistency or repetition necessary to achieve a high level of skill. Well, relative to networking, it certainly doesn't take 10,000 hours, but it does require consistency and repetition, and repetition means follow-up. So when I'm answering that client's question, I also ask this 
question. How many of those people were you referred to by another contact? And how many of them have you spoken to more than once? My question is posed to make a point about the quality of their networking, not just the quantity. Most often, the response I receive is this, uh, well, Bob, not many. That's right, not many. Not in many situations did they receive a referral from one networking contact to another. And not often did they return to that original contact to present or discuss the outcomes of whatever that person had advised. In other words, they were only seeing that particular diagnosis or that procedure once, one time only, and they were not developing any depth or breadth of skill or knowledge as a result. Or put another way, they were having a lot of first dates, but no second or third dates, and we don't develop lasting relationships based on a series of one-night stands. So let's talk about follow-up. What is it and how to do it? First, consider this. And again, what I'm saying, I'm talking from my repertoire of conversations with physicians over the past several decades. When I say to a client, you need to speak with your contacts, people in your network more frequently. Their questioning response is very often this, but how, how often can I call someone? Here's the answer. You can call someone nearly every day if you have something of interest to say. I have business associates who will go through periods of calling me every single day because every day they have something of interest to talk about. However, we may then enter a period of far less communications. You should be managing your networking contacts the same way. Now is the time to establish some rules for networking. First, we don't want just a bunch of first dates or one-off diagnoses or procedures. Your objective is to establish a network. And a network is, by definition, an interrelated, codependent group. Second, the basis for interrelations and codependency is connectivity. That is, one contact is connected to another or to the next contact. The contacts who offer you the most useful information and represent the greatest likelihood of employment will usually be contacts you meet as a result of being referred one by one several times. Usually, the more successive referrals you receive, the more valuable the contact. And let me be clear, by successive referrals, what I mean is your first contact refers you to a second person. That second person refers you to a third, the third to a fourth, and so forth. And again, Think of it in patient care terms. You're presented with a complex patient you believe needs some specialist intervention. That specialist sees the patient as needing a further subspecialist, and the subspecialist refers to a sub-subspecialist. Each referral is increasing the likelihood of the best possible outcome. That's medical networking. The same will work for your career. Now, return to the question I ask my frustrated clients. How many referrals do you receive and how many times do you speak with each contact? This is about follow-up. If you've asked appropriately for a referral and received at least one, you not only quickly contact refer that referral, but you also let your initial contact know you've done so. The first step can be as simple and as concise as a brief email stating this, Dear Jane, as you suggested, I reached out to John and we're scheduled to meet next Tuesday. Thanks so much. I'll let you know what he suggests. Thank you. Then, 
After you've met with this John, pun intended, you follow up again with Jane to tell her what was discussed and suggested. Simultaneously, you're following up with John to thank him for meeting and for his referral to Steve, the next on the list. And you're setting up your contact with Steve. Got all that? You're thanking and filling in your original contact, you're thanking and filling in your first referral, and you're setting up the meeting with the second referral. Each step is accompanied by exactly the same process. Why am I telling you to do all this? I want you to be successful, and to be successful, you actually need to build a network. By engaging your contacts regularly, you're accomplishing several objectives. First, you're showing or telling them you're following their advice. Believe it or not, too many people don't. Too many people simply fail to follow up promptly with referrals. Doing so will set you apart. By offering a synopsis of important meeting details, you're inviting them to not only comment, but very possibly, based on what you learn or are told at each juncture, you're offering them the opportunity to make further suggestions and even perhaps further introductions and referrals. Third, you're quietly positioning yourself at the hub of communications among a growing group of people with similar interests. This is a time to look for opportunities to expand their opportunities, not just yours. As you maneuver through this web of contacts, work in the names of the others on your referral list. Learn if each is known to the other, and if not, offer to introduce them. Wow, think about this. Through this networking activity and your reliance on developing referrals, you're creating a networking group of people likely with similar and overlapping interests who could very possibly be interested in expanding their own networks, expanding their contacts based on your network. You're becoming a networking resource and the quality of your networking is increasing significantly. Also, appreciate all this can be done remotely. However, let me give you another example. Let's assume stay-at-home orders have been lifted. You've spent the last six months building a really solid network and a solid networking strategy. Now it's late 2021, and you're about to attend a great biotech conference. Well, you attend, and you leave the conference with 25 business cards from people you chatted with and both agreed you should speak further. So what do you do next? Well, if you've read my ebook, you'll send each of them a brief, great-to-meet-you note stating that you'll call next week and you can close a business card. Or you send a similar email with all your contact information and a personal SIG at the bottom. If you didn't read my ebook, well, you'll probably try to call them sometime over the next two weeks. Most likely, you won't reach them. You'll leave a voice message stating, this is Dr. Smith, and we met at the biotech conference last week. Call me when you get a chance. What will most likely happen next? Nothing. You'll probably never hear from them again. Why? Well, you were probably one of many people that person spoke to. Even though you're a physician, they may not recall you from someone else. You didn't say why you were calling. What's the value of your call? Why were you following up? Try this voice message instead. This is Dr. Smith. At last week's biotech conference, we were discussing some product concerns you were having at your company, and I've got some ideas that may help you. You can reach me at 751-225-2000 and tell my receptionist you're returning my call from the biotech conference. Also, I'll give you another call again a bit later. 
First, be sure to tell your receptionist the expected caller's name that she may reference the biotech conference and having met last week. And lastly, to interrupt you if she calls. Next, wait an hour or so and call again. If you get the voice message again, simply say, this is Dr. Smith. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. My number is repeat it again. Now, wait until after hours at her office and call again. And then if again you get her voice message, don't leave another message. I can script this process out to about two weeks of calls and messages, but that's not really our focus now. The point is this, follow up is your responsibility. Regardless of whose court the proverbial ball should be in at any given time, follow up is your responsibility. And follow-up means being a bit of a pest without seeming like one. In the example above, you could leave your name and number as a message with each call. But why? She already has that information, and you're showing more than a bit of desperation or even stalking. Nevertheless, the point is you will find follow-up much more challenging in the non-clinical world than in practice. Not to mention, your office may not be accustomed to you taking calls from non-physicians, so even when your calls are returned, your staff may screen them out. So here's another tip. Buy a separate cell phone only for your career transition calls. That way, you can not only have a separate business greeting for messages, but you'll be able to turn on your business persona when you answer those calls. Now, moving on. Now that you understand that follow-up is your responsibility, how and when do you follow up? You may usually follow up by phone or email, occasionally snail mail, and you follow up persistently until you reach your target. This can be quite a challenge for physicians in practice, particularly busy practices. Networking follow-up is predicated on saying and sharing something useful, or at least as useful as possible. When you start building your networking scorecard, think both depth and breadth. That is, in networking, depth will usually yield a greater payoff than breadth. I'm often reminded of an old friend who would return from meetings with a pocket full of business cards. Those were his networking contacts. He was always immensely proud of his ability to meet and greet and glad hand. Unfortunately, he never created follow-up. He never built follow-up into the conversation. The best way to be successful in following up with networking contacts is to get ready for the drum roll. Here it is. Build the follow-up into the conversation. Agree before you end your conversation to follow up at some specified time and for a specified reason. There, that's the secret to follow-up. When I'm speaking with a client, you know, debriefing following some meeting, one of my summation questions is always, what's the next step? Too often the response is an uncomfortable period of dead air followed by, um, I'm not sure. We didn't really talk about that. What happened was a presumably, or reportedly, positive conversation that ended with a perfunctory, say, let's stay in touch, comment. Well, let's stay in touch is not, repeat, not a next step. If you've done this, and my bet is you have, hey, I have, don't feel like you've really dropped the ball. Like I said, everyone does it. It's too easy to be having a good or even great conversation with someone, and then, for various reasons, interruptions and misplaced expectation or, you know, simple forgetfulness, we end a meeting or a conversation without a defined next step. Even the pros do it. I was once head of marketing for a division of a very large health information technology company. In that role, I coordinated follow-up with the sales team. And we had a really great sales team of highly seasoned and professional people. 
Yet it was not at all uncommon to be debriefing from a sales call, waiting for that call to action of, hey, Bob, I need you to, to do something to reinforce the next step of the sales call. But instead, what I would hear was that it was a really great meeting and they really liked the product and they really liked the salesperson. Okay, but what's the next step? Hmm, pregnant pause followed by, well, I'm not sure. Well, you either have a next step or you don't. Not sure equals you don't have a next step. The trick is to simply make sure you build a next step into your thought process. You do this best by being fully committed to the meeting or conversation. The more involved you are, the more easily you will have discerned the right next step during the discussion. Knowing that allows you to say, it would seem we should talk further about. Would next Tuesday fit your schedule? I'll give you a call in the afternoon. Now you have a topic and a time, and that simply is perfect. But let's assume the world isn't perfect. You know, you could sleep through a meeting or be more interested in the hors d'oeuvre trade in the actual conversation and still, at the end, say this. It certainly seems like we have more things to talk about. Why don't we get together again next Tuesday? I'll call in the afternoon. What topic title would you like me to put on this meeting? In other words, you can have a terrible meeting, be in attendance in body, not mind only, yet still effectively schedule a potentially meaningful follow-up. Regardless of the preamble, when you follow up, endeavor to make the follow-up of value. If you were engaged initially, then be even more so with additional information your contact will likely find useful and of value. If you were actually just faking it through a conversation, however, you've still scored a reason to have a second bite at the apple. Don't waste this second chance. Be helpful, be insightful, and be focused on the next next step. Here's a final thought. The currency of networking is simply more networking. Once you shift the focus to talking about a job, you'll find your networking success level falls off a cliff. However, if you just keep networking predicated on your ability to bring value to those you meet, you'll likely be offered a job more quickly than you even expect. As always, if you have comments or questions, you can contact me at 720-339-3585 for voice, message, or text. Also, if you want to know more about networking, you may request a free copy of my Amazon book in PDF form. The Physician's Guide to Non-Clinical Careers. Just include your email address in your text request, and I'll send it along. For Third Evolution, this is Robert Pretty. Until next time, thanks for listening.